Well, I was thinking this week as I was preparing, I was thinking about one of my favorite old TV shows, and that would be the iconic and endearing Andrew Griffith show. What a great show, right? Um, I remember the show, I mean, I've watched every episode about a hundred times. There is something endearing about the characters and inviting about the town. You get a sense that Mayberry would be a great place to live, right? How many would not like to live in a town where your sheriff didn't need to carry a gun, going to church on Sunday was the norm, and your worst criminal was the town drunk? So how about that, right? Oh, and yes, there was no real technology to enslave you. No internet to keep up with, no Facebook to check in on, and no text messages to answer was probably much easier to be fully present in the moment. Now, the most compelling part of the show, though, I think sometimes for us is the fact that the show had a great moral compass, right? And we look at our world today and think, yeah, we need that moral compass today. In fact, how many know back in the 90s, they did an Andy Griffith Bible study? And I remember back in the 90s thinking, that's pretty cool. And uh, as the years have passed, uh, now I have a different take on that. And it's kind of kind of an interesting take, but here's the deal. As wonderful as the characters were and as inviting as the town was, the show did present a bit of a paradox. You see, there was one necessary thing that was glaringly absent from the TV show. When you tuned in, when you went to Mayberry every whatever night it was on TV, I can't remember the night, some of you maybe can, there was one thing you never found when you visited Mayberry. Anybody know what that was? You never found the gospel. They have the Andrew Griffith Bible study. All about good biblical morals. What's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was God, came to earth, died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And if I agree that I'm a sinner and I wronged a holy God, and if I uh, believe that Jesus Christ was God and died on the cross for my sins, and I receive his forgiveness and his life, I'm saved. I've watched every episode of Andy Griffith. You never heard that on Andy Griffith. In fact, you heard what was maybe the antithesis of the gospel. It was kind of dangerous. You kind of got the idea that you lived a good life. Where do good people go? Well, they go to heaven. But see, the Bible tells us something different. Good works apart from the gospel is not so good. They're like filthy rags. It's like we're trusting ourselves to get into God's perfect place called heaven. And God can't let any ounce of sin into heaven. So no matter how many good works you do, you ain't getting to heaven on your good works. And I get all these illustration ideas all the time. You know, I have this database I can look up, all these illustrations from current events. And I've realized the last few years, how many of these are just people doing good deeds? It's like, yeah, that, that doesn't really give us the gospel, does it? Anybody can do a good deed. And the problem with a lot of the good deeds people do is they think those good deeds are getting them into heaven. And that is not the gospel. So today we're going to talk about the paradox of the gospel. And we're in week two of this series, Paradoxology. It's two words. It's paradox. All the contradictions in scripture like the first will be last and the, and the poor will be rich. All those kinds of paradoxes. And last week we looked at the paradox of you know, being fully present in the moment and yet living with an eternal focus. It's like am I, am I living for today? Am I living for tomorrow? And we saw that we're living for both and that's the 
paradox that kind of gets worked out there and it's the idea as I live my life as a living sacrifice which is my spiritual worship as I live my life how do I flesh out these paradoxes and today we're going to take two verses today that I've probably never put together in a sermon before I doubt many people have put these two verses together in one sermon because it's kind of like they clash it's kind of like well this verse gives one kind of tone and this verse has another kind of tone and how do they how do they kind of come together and they do and I'll just say that if you want 2023 to be better than 2022 was, at least in spiritual terms, and in just your relationships and everything, this morning's message can maybe really help that be a reality as we think about the year ahead. So navigating the tension in our worship, worship paradoxology, what does it look like to live out these paradoxes? And uh, so again, each of these have a different perceived tone. We'll start here. I'm going to just jump right in, give you these two scriptures up front. Today's paradox is a gospel paradox. We'll see a few paradoxes mixed in the message today. It's kind of fascinating how that works. First one is this one. Take up your cross and follow me. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we all think we know what that means. We all have an idea. We, we get a sense of what that means. Kind of like, if you want to follow Christ, so there's some demands there. Like, you know, you've got to count the cost. If you want to come after me, count the cost. And then, but then there's this verse. Think about this. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're, you know, if you're tired of the demands of life and all the burdens of life, come to me, I'll give you rest. You kind of see how, how like, there's kind of like a little bit of a competing sense there. One is the demands of coming to Christ. It's like this burden. The other is like the invitation to come and rest. It's like a blessing. And, and I, again, that's kind of the question we have to kind of wrestle with this morning, really, right? Is your cross a burden or is your cross a blessing? I mean, really, is your cross a burden or is your cross a blessing? And, and I, I was thinking about that and I'm thinking that, you know, in, in many ways, every one of us in this room, maybe based on our personality or maybe based on our kind of view of the gospel, can kind of be pulled towards one verse over the other. Like some of us are all like, yeah, we got to take up our cross. Like this is serious stuff. Others are like, oh yeah, we got to come and rest, you know? And it's like, so my advice to you today is whichever verse you fall on, you know, try to pull yourself over to the center a little bit and kind of contemplate what the other verse says. And as we go through this today, we'll see how they, in the end, come and create this great paradox of the gospel. And the the beautiful thing is we're going to spend most of our time on the first verse and just like five minutes at the end of the message on that second verse. But we'll pull it in and we'll bring context to everything. 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 So, um... And there's just this tension. You think about the paradox. There's just this tension where we hold both of these verses as true. Like, yeah, we need to take up our cross and follow Christ, and it's a serious thing, and yeah, we need to come and rest and just, and just, just trust and relax Christ. Here's our big idea today, and I rewrote this several times trying to get just exactly to say it the right way so it would resonate. Hopefully this does work. God is working in me as he is working things out in me. And that'll make more sense as we go through the message. You could put life in there. God is working in my life as he is working things out in my life. And as we go through this message, I think that will make more sense. And hopefully that will be maybe something very powerful to remind yourself of the rest of this year as we go through this message. It will make, make more sense. So, 
And again, I'm not sure what you're facing in your life as this year gets underway, but I do know that if you are God's child, God is working in you and he is working things out in you at the exact same time. Uh, answering the paradox of the cross, these are three theological, yet they're practical answers, everyday answers. And so we're gonna jump right in with lesson number one. If you are saved, if you are born again, if you're a new creation in Christ, if you've responded to the gospel, did you know you have already taken up your cross and followed Christ? How about that? Well, that immediately puts a new spin on the whole thing, right? It's like, I got this big burden, I gotta take up my cross and follow Christ, and, and Jesus comes to you and says, well, if you're saved, you've already done that. Now, let me just say, there are a lot of layers to this, and we're gonna look at this in, other, uh, in, in another passage, and, and, and there's the passage that Rick read, like five times we find this passage in the scripture, twice in Matthew, twice in Luke, once in Mark, where Jesus says, take up your cross. So there's a lot of layers to this, there's more, there's more than just this, but it starts right here. And it does add some context that, hey, you know what? You have already taken up your cross and followed Christ. Now, a couple things about this to help us understand again, because here's Jesus in the Gospels, and we're over here with Paul in the epistles, and there are some differences. We often talk about this kind of dispensational thing, and people sometimes don't quite wrap their head around exactly what that looks like. I'll give you an example here. Take, take two words, follow and disciple, okay? Did you know, watch this, in the Gospels, you find the word disciple, this Greek word for a disciple, 275 times. In the book of Acts, you find that word 28 times. After the book of Acts, you find it zero times. Like God never calls you today a disciple. And, and it's, it's interesting that I don't hear people point this out more because it's so blatantly obvious. God never calls us disciples. How about this, the word follow, like come follow me. There's, there's a Greek word for follow. You find it 90 times in the four gospels. You find it 28 times in Acts. You find it one time by Paul and the context is kind of a different sort of follow. The point is, this idea of being a disciple and following Christ, th this was over here in the Gospels, but God's doing something different today in this age of grace. And what is he doing? Well, here's how I've summarized it before. Today, we don't follow Jesus externally. He leads us internally. Like, like Jesus is not on the earth, so I'm following him around externally. He is in me. He is my life. His spirit is in me, and I follow him. Inter he leads me internally, and I guess I follow him internally, but, but really the scripture doesn't point it that way. I'm led internally by the spirit. In fact, this is the key. Like We're not called disciples. What are we called? We're called saints today. We're called the hagios, or hagios, however that goes. We're the holy ones, the sanctified ones, the set-apart ones, the new creations. Something that they were never referred to in the four Gospels. They were disciples there today. We are the saints and we are the brethren in the body of Christ. So, just understand that if you are saved, you have already taken up your cross and followed Jesus. And there's some evidence in the text here that is pointing us in that direction. But let's look at it this way. <clears throat> Let me give you couple of ideas here, okay? Again, today's idea, this is why we say God is working in me and he's working things out in me because he's in me leading me internally. So here's the first thing. Here's the gospel reality. I have been crucified with Christ. We believe that. We know that. Galatians 2.20 is like our theme verse here at the church, right? 
It's not just my dad's theme verse. It's our church's theme verse, probably because my dad passed it on down to me and I passed it on down to us. But really, it is just the heart of the Christian life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And, and the, 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 the principle here is real simple, is that when I uh, am saved, I am considered crucified with Christ. I am included in his crucifixion on the cross and might I add his resurrection from the grave. Romans says the same kind of thing, uses the same kind of concept. Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. My old man, my old sinful fleshly man was buried, crucified, put in the grave. I've been raised the new creation in Christ. The old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And so just understand the gospel reality then in our lives as the children of God is that when we were saved, we were crucified with Christ and that is the equivalent of taking, of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Christ. Where do we follow Christ? Up Calvary. Let me show you a fascinating verse here that can seem so inconsequential but I think there's a little something in this verse. John 19, Jesus, the day of his crucifixion. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And Jesus came to earth with one sole mission, right? To go to the cross and die for our sins. And he had his, like, we often hear that Jesus took my place and died in my place on the cross. And he did. He took my place and died in my place and I deserve to die on that cross, but he died for me. But he died on his cross, not my cross. Because only one person could hang on the cross that Christ hung on. Only one person could be that, cruci- could, could be that uh, sacrifice. Nobody but Christ could fill that role. That was his cross. And why is that important? Because it gives the context when it tells us that we have to take our own cross and follow him up Calvary. And the thing is, his cross is a literal cross. My cross that I bear is a figurative cross. But it's the idea that I am included in his crucifixion and then resurrection. Now, somebody might say, I've never heard that interpretation before. And I I hadn't for many years heard that when I first saw it that way and I started to understand this context of this verse at its heart. And again, there's more layers to it. So there's more here than just that. But, but here's the, the thing, I, why is it sometimes, and this is what I've learned in the last several years, is that many times when we hear Jesus' words, we kind of, we don't always hear the gospel. See, Jesus' teachings before the cross are always pointing us to the cross. Like when he's on earth doing ministry, he's not being Andy Griffith. He's not like, you just got to behave better, people. You got to get your act together and you got to act a little more holy. That's not what he's doing. He's always pointing to the cross. That's why he came. Not to make us better. Not to make us behave better, but to make us redeemed. To to make us perfect and holy, which we can never do on our own. So here's the reality. We don't always hear or see the gospel in Jesus' teachings. Like we hear him teach and we just don't see the... No, that's about the gospel. 
I'll give you a, a one, one simple example here this morning. It's, it's in Jesus' famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. I've mentioned this before probably in different ways, but the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody loves the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most beautiful sermon in the Bible, right? His most famous sermon. Truth is, the Sermon on the Mount is a very deadly sermon. It's a deadly sermon. If There's parts of it that are just deadly. Just listen to what he says here in just one part of the, in one part of the sermon, speaking to men. He talks, about, he talks about anger in the same way, but he talks about lust here when, when it comes to men. So here, men, something for you and I. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Um, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. See why it's a deadly sermon? It's talking about going into hell. It's like, yeah. But what is Jesus doing here in this passage? Adultery, it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? And, and Jesus kind of ups the ante and says to men everywhere, if you simply look at a woman with a lustful thought in your heart, you have already cheated on her. Because like, we're all the, the kind that look at the Ten Commandments and say, well, I never murdered anybody. Or I never committed adultery. And Jesus is like, oh, wait a minute, time out. To all of us men, he says, wait a minute, time out. Did you ever look at a woman lustfully? You committed adultery. You've broken, the, you've broken all the Ten Commandments. So what is the point here? Is Jesus trying to improve my behavior and make me more holy? Is he telling me how I can actually keep the Ten Commandments successfully? Honestly, the focus of his teaching here is not your behavior. It is the gospel. What Jesus is saying in this sermon is not that you better watch your behavior. It's that you need a Savior. Here's a statement God gave me this week and I found it to be quite powerful just kind of going through this message. But just listen to this. This sounds paradoxical in its own sense, right? Jesus' ultimate desire is not that I behave better. He's telling me that I need to trust more. And we're going to see what that means as we go through the passage. But the reality is if, if I get the trust thing down, God will take care of my behavior. So Jesus didn't come to make me behave better. He wants me to trust more. And I mean, it's like we're given a choice in the sermon, right, men? So here's your choice. Uh, you don't, don't want to go to hell? You can chop off your hands and pluck out your eyes. Or you can put your trust in a Savior. Amen? I know, I know what I've done. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. And for the person who gets angry, Jesus says, if, if, you, if you just get angry, you've committed murder. So you see how it works? It's like, yeah. We all struggle with anger sometimes and everything. Jesus is basically pointing to the gospel. And we know this is the, the, the context here because what does he say? The judgment is hell. So if you don't want to go to hell, you can either live a super holy life, which is impossible, or you can trust a Savior. So that's the gospel reality there, that I have been crucified with Christ. And that's the point here of taking up your cross. We don't see the gospel in his words, that he's simply saying, that's what you did when you were saved. You took up your cross and followed me up Calvary. Here's the gospel paradox. So this kind of shows us in the context of this that he is thinking of the gospel. Because he says, you must lose your life to find it. That's the next thing he says, right? We must lose our life to find it. Going on, right? Here's the, the part to take up your cross. 
verse 24, the very next verse, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And so he's talking about our eternal soul. He's talking about our eternal salvation. Taking up your cross and following him has something to do with your eternal salvation. Think of it like this one. Before you're saved, what's the most valuable thing you possess? Your health and then your, well really your life, right? The most valuable thing you possess is your life. And the reality is, before you're saved, what's going to happen? At the end of your days, you're going to die and you're going to lose your life. Jesus says, hey, if you will deny yourself and if you'll die with me, you know what? You'll actually find your life. Because when you die, you won't lose your life. You'll gain it for eternity. And it's, it's amazing the most valuable thing that people possess and they spend little time thinking about how they're going to secure that life for eternity. And we, and not only that, not, not only do we get this eternal life, we become one with Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. Like I'm one with Christ in this world. Uh, uh, Matt Emmons had the gold medal in his sight. He was one shot away from claiming victory in the 2004 Olympic 50-meter three-position rifle event. He didn't even need a bullseye to win. His final shot merely needed to be on target. Normally, the shot he made would have received a score of 8.1, more than enough for a gold medal. But in what was described as, an, extre as an, an extremely rare mistake in elite competition, Emmons fired at the wrong target. Standing in lane two, he fired at the target in lane three. His score for a good shot at the wrong target, zero. Instead of a medal, Emmons ended up in eighth place. It doesn't matter how accurate you are if you are aiming at the wrong goal. And does that just not describe the world today? Who They've just got the wrong goal. And they haven't been willing to deny themselves and, and focus on the cross and focus on Jesus and aim at the right goal and secure their eternity with him forever. And at the end of their days, they're going to be like, yeah, I focused on my career and I focused on my bank account and I focused on my happiness and I focused on my family and I focused on being a good person and... But you missed the target, which is Jesus. And then verse 27 kind of shows us the context even more so, again, is just tied back to taking up your crosses is dealing with your salvation because he says in verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with the angels and the glory of his Father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And what, are, what are we ultimately judged for? When we're judged according to what he has done, what he has done with what? His life? Well, what he has done with Jesus. That's the, that's the ultimate judgment for us. All the good deeds in the world don't matter if I reject Christ. But if I deny myself and I receive Christ and put my faith and trust in Him, yeah, then I'm judged according to that. If I don't, I'm judged according to that. And we know the difference there between heaven and between hell. So, now as I said, there are layers to this paradox. There are layers to this verse. Because it's, as I said, five times in the Gospels. And different Gospels bring in different elements to it. So look over here in Luke chapter 9. Or Luke, yeah, Luke 9, 23. I, I think that's maybe verse, yeah, verse 23. Here is what Luke says. And he said to all, 
See if you notice the difference in this verse. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see the difference in Luke compared to to Matthew? You see the, the one word that's different? Daily. Take up your cross daily. Now, what does that mean? That's, that's the question. Well, how do I take up my cross daily? If taking up my cross was this kind of one-time thing, when I went up the cross and I was crucified with Christ and became a new creation in Christ, then what does it mean when he inserts the word daily? And there are different theories on why the word daily is in here. I guess it's not in some manuscripts, and, and uh, there is some theory that... that this is the only place the word daily occurs in this context and so it shouldn't be there. I don't have any problem with it being there. I think I know exactly why it's there. I, I know exactly what Luke is telling us when he says take up your cross daily and follow me. And that is lesson number two this morning. It's this. Oh, this is the gospel question. What does it mean to take up my cross daily? So what does that mean? And that leads us then to lesson number two this morning If you are saved, you need to work out your salvation every single day. If you've been crucified with Christ, if you followed him up Calvary and been crucified, then you need to every single day work out your salvation every day. In a sense, you take your cross every day. You just work out the implications of the cross in your life on a daily basis. It's it's not just that when we're saved, we're all all good to go. We were saved for a purpose. God has a purpose for your life. He wants to develop an intimate relationship with us. He wants us to get to know him as well as he knows us. And I'll go back to Galatians 2.20 a minute because I just love, I always quote this in the King James. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And there's something in here that you probably never noticed before, but every other translation, every other, even the literal translation say it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. And I just love the I am crucified with Christ, that kind of present tense like, yeah, I have been, it happened, but I am right now crucified with Christ. That is my state in life. And that's what I need to live out every day. Philippians 2, a verse we know very well, talks to us about this concept. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so this is the verse that tells us we need to work out our salvation. We need to live out the gospel the implications of what Christ did on the cross and the fact that what he did on the cross for me, he is working that out in my life every day. And so here is the gospel reality. God is at this very moment working in my life and working things out in my life. That's where our big idea comes in, right? Right now, I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. We're all in a different place. Things are going on in our life. We have different struggles, different challenges, different opportunities, open doors, closed doors, whatever it is at this very moment. God is working in my life and he's working things out in my life. Now, a couple things about this first. Go back to this first, right? Um, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, you know the personal nature of that is? It says work out your own salvation. You ever been in that place? Maybe you know somebody like this or maybe you've been there where you're good at working out other people's salvation. Like, I know what you need to do. You know, I know what you need to do. You need to go on that short-term mission trip or, or you need to 
get out of that relationship or you, you know and we can look at everybody else and see what they need to do how about working on your own salvation what does god want to do in your life right now what is he trying to do in your life right now and sometimes we don't like what god's trying to do in our life so we focus on someone else's life or we focus on some other thing in our life god's trying to work something out in my life and i'm like i don't like that but i'll work on this lord I'll read the Bible a little more every day. We'll go up to five chapters a day instead of four just so I don't have to work on, you know, loving that person over there at work. Now, I've said before, this concept here is real simple. It's the idea of working out what God has worked in. And that is very true. That's, that's what's going on in this verse. We are working out what God has worked in. But can I just add some context or another layer to that verse? God is not just working in your life. God is in the process right now of working certain things out in your life too. He's working things out in your life as much as, 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 as you need to. He is already doing that. In your, he's working certain things out in your life and that's where our big idea comes in. God is working in me and he's, he is working things out in me. So let's stop right there for a moment. Is there anything in your life right now you know God is trying to work out? That God is trying to resolve? That God is trying to fix? That God is trying to, you know, get your attention on? And all you have to do is give him the freedom to work. You just have to trust him. It's like, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do. You tell me what to do. You're leading me internally, not ex- You're leading me internally. I'll follow your spirit. You tell me what to do. I'll do it. So it's not that I necessarily have to work things out. Many times I just have to trust what God wants to work out in my life, what he's trying to do. Now, I don't mean to make this entirely passive, like there's nothing. No responsibility here for us. There are things we can do, steps we can take to live out the gospel and work out our salvation. But the chief thing we can do is simply surrender to the Spirit and just live in harmony with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and let Him do His work. I just partner with Him. And the last verse we'll look at today in the last five minutes of this message, when we say that we come to Christ and and we yoke ourselves to Christ, that's the idea here, really, that that I'm just going to yoke myself to Christ I'm just going to trust Christ and let him do the work and I'm just going to go along and get the credit for the work that he does in my life. That's kind of strange. That brings us to the biggest question we have this morning right here, right? So how do I work out my salvation daily? How do I work out my salvation daily? And so here's what I've done and here's what I want you to do. I came up with 14 different answers and the longer this one, I just kept coming up with more answers to this question. I'm gonna simply read through these answers. I want you to check on your notes or to mentally check in your mind two, three, four of these responses that most resonate with you. And as you head into the new year, rather than setting some resolutions, just say, this year, this is what I'm going to focus on in 2023. I'm going to focus on letting God work things out in my life in this area. I'm just going to be intentional about that in 2023. And again, remember what's going on here. God is working things out in me if I just trust Him. What does God want to work out in your life? And remember again, the challenge is not simply to behave better. Resolutions do that. I'll just help improve my behavior. I'll behave a little better. No, God says, I want you to trust me more because I might cause you to behave in ways you might not want to behave. In, in th- resolutions you may not make, I might push you in that direction. So, 
All right. 14 ways you can work out your salvation in the next year. 14 ways that you can let God work things out in your life. We're going to run through them pretty quickly. I'll throw a few scriptures in here. But I put scriptures on your handout so you can go through these later on your own and kind of flesh them out in your own life. How about this one? John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so basically, I will prove myself by my love. That's how I can work out, my, work out the gospel. I will prove myself by my love. Not by how many times I go to church, not how, by how big my Bible is, not by how many Bible studies I'm involved in. Not by my worship music. People will define me by my love. And what does Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians 13? That I can have all that other stuff. I can live the most holy life. And I, and I can have you know, all the spiritual things going on in my life. But without love, I'm nothing but what? A clanging symbol. Y'all know what a clanging symbol is? Y'all know what it is? Annoying, right? Just annoying. It's like bang, 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 bang. See how spiritual I am? Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so in 2023, I will forgive as I have been forgiven. I will forgive as I have been forgiven. Remember what Jesus said again? This is kind of like Jesus talking about forgiveness under the law. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. I heard about a guy this week called into a radio, radio call-in show and asked this question. Someone swindled him out of a million dollars in a business deal. And he, it set him back as, a, as an individual financially and he couldn't get past it. And he's like, what do I do? How do I get beyond this? Well, under law, it's like he's got, bad, he's got problems under law because if he don't forgive, God ain't going to forgive him. Thankfully, he's not under law, he's under grace. And grace says this, I am to forgive as I have what? been forgiven i don't forgive to be forgiven i forgive because i have been forgiven amen amen and that's the the reality i can focus on oh i have to forgive this person i can focus on look how much god has forgiven me i can live a life of rest and in be empowered to forgive those who have wronged me how about i will serve others through my good works and we all know right we're not saved by our good deeds we are certainly saved to do good deeds. We're certainly saved to do good works. And so I'll, I'll work out my salvation in this next year by just the good works that I do that glorify not me. They don't promote me, but glorify Christ. I will practice generosity. I read this week somebody said that it, it's been said that if you're not generous, you may not have experienced the gospel. Because think of all the spiritual blessings that are wrapped up in the gospel that are yours because of God's amazing grace. And so, yeah, to live out the gospel, to work out your salvation is just to be a super generous person. How about Philippians 1, 6? And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so I will walk by faith. In 2023, I will walk by faith. And let's be real a minute. Working out your salvation requires walking by faith. It does, and sometimes that seems scary to us. It shouldn't. But it really is simply trusting what God is working out in your life right now. And honestly, the reason we don't accomplish probably more for the Lord in our lives or sometimes as a church, and it comes down to we just probably don't walk by faith enough. 
Like we're just a little hesitant sometimes and God says, jump here, jump there and we're a little bit, this year I'm gonna walk by faith. I'm gonna see what God can do through my life and through my church as I walk by faith. I will then kind of similar live, wait, that's a mistake. I will walk in the spirit. I will live by faith, I will walk in the Spirit. I might have got those confused there a little bit, but kind of similar here, and this is the opposite of walking in the flesh. I will walk in the Spirit because I'm being led today internally and not externally. The Spirit is leading me internally. How about this one? I will offer my life as a living sacrifice because this is my spiritual act of worship. How do I worship God today? Not just through the songs I sing, not just by coming to corporate worship. How do, how do I worship God as I just offer my life as a living sacrifice to Him. And the beauty again between law and grace is that under law, yeah, I brought a sacrifice under law. Under grace, I bring myself as the sacrifice. I can be a sacrifice. I am the hagias, the holy one, the sanctified, the set apart. I can offer my life as a sacrifice. That's working out your salvation. That's what God made you. Holy, righteous, pure, sanctified, set apart. I will embrace my freedom in Christ. And again, this is not the freedom to sin. This is the freedom from sin. We read it earlier in Romans 6. We have been set free, so we are no longer slaves to sin. I will embrace my freedom in Christ. I will live free in Christ. Closely related then, I will consider myself dead to sin. That passage in Romans 6, we looked at it earlier. He goes on and says, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. How do I beat, how do I live in victory over sin and temptation today? I just consider myself dead to sin. Like, I don't want that. I'm dead to that. You're dead to me, sin. I don't want to sin. I don't want to do that. And I just, this year, I will live out the gospel I will consider myself dead to sin. And now speaking out of both sides of my mouth at the same time, and what's maybe another paradox in the gospel is, I will give myself grace in the struggle, right? Because Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so... Yeah, I'll do both of those this year in 2023. I'll consider myself dead to sin. I, I am dead to sin. I am free. I'm no longer enslaved to sin. Amen. And yet when I give in to sin, I will give my grace, self-grace when I fall to sin and temptation. And both of those are true at the same time. It's like the paradox of the gospel. The gospel gives me the power to live in victory over sin and it gives me the grace when I succumb to sin. That's the gospel. That's the paradox of the gospel. I will let go of the past. We talked about it last week. I'll just let go of the past. The hurt, the pain, the bitterness, the sin, the guilt, the condemnation, uh, the expectation, whatever it is, the failures, I'll let go of the past so I can move forward and work out my salvation. I will not be ashamed of the gospel. I won't be. You ever have that, that person, like, just imagine if you had a friend, right? And this person did, was, was always doing nice things for you and always looking out for you and always bailing you out of trouble, and yet no one really liked this person. And so whenever anybody saw you with this person, you were kind of like ashamed to be seen with them, embarrassed to be seen with them. I think it's kind of like the gospel sometimes, right? Think of what the gospel has done in your life. 
how it has radically changed you, how it has made you a new creation in Christ, how it empowers you, all the blessings wrapped up in the gospel, and yet sometimes we are ashamed of the gospel, and like we're embarrassed to like tell someone about Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection. Hmm. I will be about the business of reconciliation. We're told in 1 Corinthians that we are, or 2 Corinthians, excuse me, we're told that we are new creations in Christ, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation and we are ambassadors for God. You know what an an ambassador is, right? An ambassador speaks on behalf of like a country or a president or, and so we are ambassadors. We speak on behalf of God. I heard someone give a great illustration of this recently saying that we can be brand ambassadors. Like have you ever seen that athlete that wears, you know, Nike tennis shoes or wears this, you know, a certain kind of shirt with a logo on it or the race car driver that's got logos all, he's a brand ambassador, speaks for that brand, right? We can do that. We can be a brand ambassador for Jesus. We can put, Jesus all over our, the way we live our life. We can be ambassadors for Christ. And we can tell people about the good news, how they can be reconciled to Christ. And finally, I will rejoice in my suffering in 2023. So don't tell me you don't know how to work out the gospel or live out your salvation. Now there's 14 ways there. And I would challenge you to pick two or three or four or whatever and say this year, I'm just going to focus on these areas. Maybe it's just one for you. But something where God says, yeah, this is what I'm doing in your life. I want you to rejoice in your suffering. I want you to be my brand ambassador. I want you to forgive as you've been forgiven. I I want you to count yourself dead to sin. I want you to give yourself more grace in the struggle of your life. God is working in me as he is working things out in me. And that brings us to the third and final lesson. And just very briefly, Bring some more of the context of the paradox into the gospel here. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me then, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then here, number three, look at this. If you are saved, you have been invited to a life of rest. You have been. God has invited you to a, if you're weary and heavy burdened and laden and exhausted from battling this world and battling life, you have been invited to a life of rest. And here is the gospel paradox, really is, right? Is that working out my salvation is a life of rest. It is. Considering yourself dead to sin and forgiving as you've been forgiven and being a brand ambassador for Jesus, all of those things, it's the life of rest. It really is. It is the life of rest. And that's hard for us sometimes to wrap our head around because we look at the gospel and we think that working out our salvation, it is so countercultural. It is so challenging. It is so costly. It is such a great commitment. It is like such this demanding burden on my life. And Jesus is like, no, it's really not. It is the life of rest. Because when you yoke yourself to me, it's like, yeah, when, when you went up Calvary, right and were crucified with me and you took up your cross and did that right and to live out the gospel every day what are you doing you're yoking yourself to me you're going through life with me that's how it works you're simply going through life with me and it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure 
So we just simply need to know that. Simply need to know that. And can I give you just a, just a beautiful little gospel reality here? Here's what you need to know as you face 2023. Think about this. And, and I don't know what's going to come into your life in 2023, but you need to know this this morning. It's not about what I face in life. It's about who I face life with. And if I will yoke myself to Christ, if I'll take up my cross every day and yoke myself to Christ and live out the gospel and work out my salvation, that will be a life of rest. Because it's not about what I face in life. It's not about the challenges I face. It's who I face life with. And the world is full of people who are facing life on their own. They're facing the challenges on their own. They're aiming at the wrong target. Everything in their life is empty and lonely and hopeless and they're lost. All they need to do is lose their life to find it. Deny themselves and follow Christ and they will find everything they're looking for. And honestly this morning, here's the gospel question. Is my cross a burden or is it the end of my burdens? I think it's so beautiful that God has set up this the kind of this, this, this para, paradigm, right, where what he wants us to do every week is come out for corporate worship and gather together as a church family, right? Because the reality is, while I'm not supposed to necessarily work out your salvation, right? I'm supposed to work and focus on mine. The truth is, we are supposed to bear each other's burdens. We are supposed to provoke each other to good works. We are supposed to, you know, be in the business of gathering together and supporting and encouraging one another. That is absolutely the truth. And so God has set up this paradigm though where every week we can gather together with our church family and one of the things we do, we gather here, is what do we do? We focus on the gospel. Because you're not going to hear the gospel on Andy Griffith on Monday night. But you'll hear the gospel on Sunday morning. And it's not about your good works. It's not about behaving better. It's about trusting more. That's what you're going to get on Sunday morning. And you're going to be empowered to go out then and to work out your salvation and live out the gospel and love the unlovely and forgive the unforgivable and be a brand ambassador and do all of those incredibly amazing things and that is the life of rest. And we come here and the, the, the thing today, I just have two questions and then we're going to close with a song. Two application questions. What is one burden you need to bring to the cross this morning so you can live out the gospel and work out your salvation? What's the one burden? I bet you all of us could spend a couple of minutes and we could come up with one thing. That, and that's the beauty. We come and we focus on the gospel on Sunday morning and we can leave our burdens at the cross and we can go forward to work out our salvation. Right, so what is one burden this morning? I would just challenge you to, to flesh that out in your life today if it doesn't immediately come to mind. If it does, when we sing this next song, leave it here. And take up your cross and go home and live out the gospel. And number two, choose two to three, four ways that you can work out your salvation in 2023. Dan, let's play this song. Let's sing this last song together. Close in prayer. And then we will. Thank you, Lord, for the paradox of the gospel. Thank you for the invitation to come. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our life right at this very moment. May we trust in you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Thank you.